This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and use the promo code fool at checkout. Support for Motley Fool Answers also comes from our friends at My ID Care Identity Protection. The Equifax breach gave identity thieves access to the personal data of millions of Americans, and now is the time to protect yourself. 25 million Americans rely on MyIDCare, and right now our listeners can get 15% off. Go to MyIDCare.com slash fool to enroll. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Now with 100% more whiskey than he's had in previous episodes. <laughs> this is the truth. Happy holidays to you, Allison. Would you like to tell them why you have uh Whiskey. I just did some wacky podcast thing with Chris Hill and Bill Barker that they, I guess, occasionally do, and it involves whiskey. I, of course, if everyone else is doing it, I do it too, so I add a little bit of whiskey. Yeah. I don't understand how anyone can drink it, but I drank it anyhow. The studio right now, you can't experience the smell-o-vision of, of podcasts right now, but I can tell you it smells like a bar in the studio. So but that's I, I mean, it, it was like a quarter of a glass, and, and I had to force it down. You do sound a little slurry to me. <laughs> In today's episode, I, 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 I will I, be the expert because <laughs> you need to sit down. I will be sharing five sneaky ways that marketers try to get you to spend as much as possible around the holidays. And Bro is also going to answer your question about underperforming variable annuities. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. It's time for Answers Answers, and today's question comes from Sarah. Sarah writes, I'm 37 years old and have saved almost 500000 for retirement. Good for you. Very good for you. My parents opened a variable annuity for me in 1990, thinking it was a way to save for college, but it didn't grow as fast as they'd hoped, and they didn't realize that there would be a penalty for pulling the money out before I'm 59 and a half. I'm debating between a few options. Move it into a different fund within the same annuity, roll it into a new annuity, or pull it out and take the penalty and income tax hit in order to invest it into non-retirement funds. I'd appreciate your thoughts. I've tried to research variable annuities, and I'm still kind of fuzzy on them. Well, you're not alone. Variable annuities can be very complicated. At their essence, they're sort of like traditional 401ks, and that once you put the money in, it grows tax-deferred. You don't pay the taxes until you take the money out. And you have limited investment choices, usually just a few uh, mutual funds in there. The problem is, it's an investment account, but also has an insurance element to it, um, which makes them more expensive. The investments tend to be pretty mediocre. I'm going to guess that your parents were actually sold this annuity by an insurance agent who said, yeah, this is a great way to save for college, because they generate huge commissions for insurance sales oh. folks. So I would take, I'm sure it wasn't your parents' fault, but they are right to find out that eventually, yes, if you take the money, like a 401k, if you take the money out early, you're going to pay a 10% penalty on top of taxes on, on the money. So, But if you can't even take the money out until you're 59 and a half, how can they even tell you it's good for college? They shouldn't do, have. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's nineteen ninety, so you probably can't so go back and lied. find that agent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I I bet I'm guessing that if it was sold by an agent, that they they said things they should flat have out said. lied. Uh. Right. Yeah, exactly. So here are your choices, um, and you you recognize them. You you could look at better investments within the annuity, but chances are, if it hasn't grown very well, it's just a bad annuity. Many of them have extraordinarily high expenses. My recommendation would be to look at your other option, which is to transfer it to another annuity, and it's something called a 1035 exchange. 
You don't owe any taxes as long as it goes from one annuity to another. Look for a low-cost provider from folks like Vanguard and Fidelity and people like that. They have low-cost annuities that are available. I wouldn't recommend taking the money out because, as I said, you'll pay the penalties and the taxes. You are doing actually pretty well for saving for your retirement. So, if push came to seven and you needed that money, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to cash it in. I know people who have done stuff like that, for maybe start a business or something like that. Because you're doing well for your savings and retirement, I wouldn't say it's the worst thing in the world, but you don't want to pay those penalties. So, better off to save it for retirement, transfer it to a lower cost annuity, and then if you ever need cash in the future, just pull back on the amount you contribute to your 401k. This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Casper. Casper mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. I know bro likes that. And buying one is easy. You order it online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box, free shipping and free returns in the US and Canada, and they even have a risk-free 100-day trial. Wow. 100 days. The people I know who have bought a Casper mattress rave about them. And aside from the convenience of getting it, they love the sleep they are getting, and pretty quickly all of their mattresses in their house become Casper mattresses. So, our listeners can get $50 off towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com. Use the promo code FOOL at checkout. And of course, terms and conditions apply. 100 days of free bounce. Hey! Support for Mollyful Answers also comes from our friends at My ID Care Identity Protection. The holidays are a time of increased risk for identity theft. Holiday shopping means billions of payment transactions, and cyber criminals want a piece of the action, which means it's more important than ever to protect yourself. My ID Care provides concierge style service and has an incredible 100% success rate for identity recovery. With 24 7 monitoring of your information, you can join the 25 million Americans who trust My ID Care and spend your holidays celebrating instead of stressing. And our listeners can get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com. When Christmas Day is here, the most wonderful, 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 wonderful day. Garland, eggnog and silent night, chestnuts by the fire, and the manipulations of marketers controlling our every move. Oh, the holidays! <laughs> it is the most wonderful time of the year. Today, I'm going to share the deepest, darkest secrets of holiday marketers and how they get you. Because they get you in a number of different ways. Bro, you love the holidays. I do. And when I was telling Chris Hill about this episode, he said, I want to know how bro shops for the holidays. Uh, I'm actually a horrible shopper because the shopping part is not my favorite part of the holiday. So I will go to, uh, I try to find obscure websites like like ThinkGeek uh, or Etsy where people are doing things that are different. Occasionally I'll look at like the, the gift ideas from like Amazon or something like that, but I try to find kind of offbeat websites to find something a little different. My, at this point, my kids are teenagers. And it's much less exciting to buy presents for them. It's not as fun as it used to be. Aww. Oh well. How about you, Rick? How do you do your holiday shopping? Amazon, 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 Amazon. All online. And Etsy, yeah, all online until like the night before, and then I'm like, oh no, I forgot X, and it's always a mistake. Always, always, always a mistake to go somewhere and just grab the first thing you see, and it's like, ah, this will do. Everyone loves socks. Always a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the next time you are going shopping. 
these are some fun things that you can look out for. Right. I really enjoyed researching this episode. Now, I'm no Grinch, and I think that you should spend with wild abandon this holiday season, <laughs> particularly at the companies I own stock in. So, if you're shopping at the mall or online, you can be aware of these marketing tactics that take advantage of our most primal instincts. And my mm. hope is that, after this episode, you and our listeners, you'll be out shopping and you'll notice these tactics and you'll say, oh, I see what you're doing there, Macy's. I'm on to you. And you'll be better prepared to make a more rational decision or not. I don't care. You don't have to make rational decisions if you want. It's kind it's of fun. Christmas. It's kind of fun to just be a little wild. So, all right. We ready for the first one? I'm so ready. The first one is scarcity and urgency. This is these are these sound like a couple of Robert Cialdini things. Yeah, there is some Cialdini here. Yeah. You're gonna get some Cialdini, you're gonna get some Kahneman, you're gonna get some I don't know, Ariely, just start naming behavioral um, <laughs> finance experts because it's all it's all here. So the thought of missing out on something, the scarcity of something really triggers something primal in us. And Black Friday and Cyber Monday are just a perfect storm of marketers preying on our fears of missing out. The more rare the item, the more valuable it must be. So when we're talking about scarcity, we're kind of just talking about supply and demand. So let me tell you about some science right. around scarcity. Science. The classic cookie jar study in 1975, some researchers asked, I don't know why they did this, but they asked 200 female undergrads to rate the value of some cookies that were in some jars. So I'm probably going to mess up the finer points of this, but one jar had 10 cookies in it and one jar had two cookies in it. And then these, uh, the women were told some stories around why there was scarcity or abundance of cookies, two versus 10. The cookies were exactly the same. But the cookies that were presented as scarce were rated twice as attractive. Oh and the cookies that went from abundant to scarce, because they also kind of changed the number, were rated as more desirable. So, scarcity also can create urgency, and marketers love to use that against us. So, for example, limited time only offers, limited right. numbers of TVs available, a countdown clock on websites. Uh, just the other day, Adrian, a coworker, turns <laughs> turns around to be frantic. Is it was on Black on uh, Cyber Monday? She turns around to be frantic and she goes, "Allison, when does Cyber Monday end?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you talking I think it about?" It ends on Tuesday. <laughs> what are you talking about? She's like, "Well, does it end at five? Does it end tonight?" She's like, "I don't know. My husband is slacking me, and he's telling me I gotta go buy a TV, or I'm gonna miss out." Like she was seriously, frantically uh, upset about it. So. Some other examples that I've seen this holiday season is I went to Etsy, where you like to shop to get my mother-in-law a present, and it said, there's only one left of this item. And I'm like, of course there's only one left of this item. It's Etsy. They hand make stuff. But then the next line said, and two people have it in their shopping cart. So I was wow. like, oh, I got to get on this. Like, I seriously was like, uh, yeah. So that's another example that I've at least noticed this time of year. Uh, other ways that marketers use this, not necessarily around the holidays, is when you see signs that'll say maximum, like if you're at the grocery store and soup's on sale, and it might say maximum eight cans per customer. Like that's another attempt for you to oh, be that's like, oh so man, fascinating. oh man, there's these people are gonna, ah, I gotta get, I gotta get all the soup cans. I've often thought like, what if I got ten? I think is the checkout person gonna say anything to me? Right? <laughs> like, sorry, sir. Uh, you'll also see this. Like Amazon is so good at this, right? Because they'll tell you how many of an item are left in stock. They'll say like only twelve left in stock. They'll also create urgency by telling you that if you order an item within the next like X amount of hours, you'll. Get, um, you'll get it tomorrow, or you'll get it in a certain amount of time. That one has gotten me before as well. So, 
Very interesting. A lot of these ideas around Cyber Monday and Black Friday in general are trying to build up this sense of there's only so many TVs. You got to race in there and get yours before someone else does. And then we end up like literally trampling people to death. Like that's how crazy <laughs> that's how crazy we get when we think something is scarce. Yeah. Anyway, the next one is the decoy effect. Have you heard, you haven't heard about this? No. Okay. So it turns out, and this is going to be a theme that's going to pop up a lot, is that we as humans, it's very hard for us to tell how much something is worth unless we have some sort of reference yeah. point or context, right? Like I'm looking at this microphone. I have no idea how much this microphone in front of me is worth uh, because I have no experience with microphones, whatever. I just talked to one. I've never bought one. And marketers take advantage of this in a number of different ways. So classic example, let's say we're at the theater watching The Last Jedi. Because we are going, all three of us are going to be doing that. Yes. In, and next by the week. way, when I bought, when I put my ticket in the in the checkout, I got the timer. Like I had six minutes to buy that ticket. Yeah, yeah. you had six, and you got half off because you bought it on, on Cyber on Monday. Cyber Monday. Uh, so we go either that or it's. Uh, yeah, we're not sure. I actually got an actual ticket, but I hope so. <laughs> I only had six minutes to decide. I had to buy it. Uh, so. There we are. Your ticket does work. There we are, waiting, and you decide you want some popcorn. The smallest $2, they only offer two sizes, smallest $2 and the largest $7. And you're like, uh, I don't, you know what? A small is enough. I'm just going to get the $2 one because you're bro. Well, <laughs> it's a pretty big price difference. So you're just, like, yes. just going to be like, eh, whatever. Let's say, though, that they offer a small for $2, a medium for $7, and then a large for $8. You're going to go there and you're going to look at the prices now and you're going to be like, well, for just like a dollar more, <laughs> right. I can have a large of popcorn. Yep. And so, marketers, this is like a classic example. Another example comes from William Sonoma and the bread maker. Do you remember in the 90s? The bread maker, like bread makers were a pretty big deal in the 90s. Huge deal. But before they were a big deal, William Sonoma were the first ones to create the bread maker. So, they put it on the market for the first time. They decided to price it at 275 bucks. But no one bought it, even though we all love bread. Who doesn't love fresh baked bread? So a research firm told them, you know what, you should make a slightly better, bigger bread maker and make it at twice the price, or at least sell it, retail it at twice the price. And sales took off for the original bread maker, right. for the lower price bread maker, because people saw the more expensive bread maker and they it gave them a reference point for how much a bread maker should be worth. And they're like, well, we'll just go for the smaller, for the cheaper one, because it's, you know, whatever. Another example of this is the Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog, the Christmas book. Neiman Marcus is pretty expensive stuff, whether you are aware of that or not. Um, so, like $300 rabbit for earmuffs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so you're saying, oh my goodness to that. Okay. Well, an aspect of the Neiman Marcus catalog every year is its fantasy gifts section. One example is a private New Year's Eve party for 300 people in the Knickerbocker Hotel. For $1.6 million. They put it in a catalog? Yeah, they put it in a catalog. So it's like crazy stuff. Um, I also have a side note here. Uh, I don't think I have ever said, do you think I can say F you in our podcast? Because I don't think I have ever said F you to a catalog. <laughs> but one of the, so there's all these extravagant gifts. There's like, let's say, uh, less than a dozen of them. And they describe the gifts, and then they have the, in the catalog, they say, here's the feel good factor. Where you're supposed to like, here's the charitable aspect of it. So, if you buy one of the things for sale is a pair of Rolls Royces for nine hundred thousand dollars, 
The feel good factor is a is that a whopping one thousand dollars of your purchase is going to go to a Neiman Marcus Foundation. <laughs> what if a, if making a donation of one thousand dollars after buying eight hundred thousand dollars worth of Rolls Royces makes you feel good? You're a horrible person. <laughs> Like I don't. If you want to buy a nice car, fine. Buy a Rolls Royce, but don't like put yourself on Santa's good list because one thousand dollars of your purchase went to a charity. Point zero zero one percent. That's how the math works out. Ugh, sorry, that was a side note, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Anyway, the psychology at work here is that also it's all, it does provide like PR. Like they'll like it's always like ooh. I can't believe all these amazing, you know, that's crazy. That's outrageous. So there is a PR uh, reason why they do this. But if you're, you know, kind of just flipping the pages of the Neiman Marcus catalog, after you've considered spending $1.3 million on a New Year's Eve party, suddenly the $300 mink fur earmuffs don't seem so right. extravagant. They seem much more reasonable. Right. Uh, another common use of the decoy effect is the upsell. For just a little bit more, you can have blank. Those kind of things. So, the decoy effect is everywhere. You're going to see it a lot in pricing. Hey, let's actually move on and talk more about pricing, shall we? Let's do it. Particularly sales and anchoring. And anchoring actually is going to come up again more because anchoring also is plays into the decoy effect and some other things. But whatever, it's all tied. It's all interwoven. So, pricing and sales. We love a good deal, and I don't think any retailer learned that lesson harder than J.C. Penney did. Do you remember back in 2012? When the flailing retailer hired Apple's chief marketing officer as their CEO, Ron Johnson? I remember that part, yes. And then do you remember Ron Johnson's great idea? No. Okay. Was that a club? Story no, time. So, at the time, JCPenney, like many retailers, would artificially inflate their prices yeah. and then knock them down. So, they were called fake prices for items. So, uh, a t shirt, well, they would be happy to sell it at 10 so they price it at $20 and then say it's 50% off or whatever. Less than 1% of JCPenney's revenues came from items bought at full price. So, and by contrast, nearly three quarters of the merchandise sold by the department store chain was discounted by at least 50% off. Wow. So, they really relied on this fake pricing um, to bring people in coupons, big sales, you know, whatever. Uh, and like flash sales, which also plays on urgency and scarcity. So, the new CEO, Ron, from Apple, comes in and he's like, let's just stop playing this game, people. If a t-shirt says it's originally 14, but we want to sell it for six, let's just price it at seven. Let's um, offer everyday low prices. They called it fair and square, because if you remember, like the logo redesign was like a square. Because I think he thought that uh, uh, consumers would appreciate it and be like, that's where I go to get solid good deals. Well, anyway, do you think it worked out, bro? I don't think it did. It did not work out. Sales plummeted, and for a few reasons. One of those is price anchoring. And price anchoring is very similar to the decoy effect in that we don't know how much something is worth unless we have context. So if you price an item as high, higher than it actually is, uh, you anchor to that. And you think, oh, well, this is how much it's really worth. Look, I'm getting such a great deal. And then there was also a lack of urgency. This was another th- reason why marketing experts said it failed, is that um, there's no hurry to get into JCPenney's for a sale, to get a good deal. Your coupon's not going to expire. Like If you can go to JCPenney's whenever to get a t-shirt, you're never going to go no, to yeah, JCPenney's. 
So, as Ron Johnson later admitted, he said coupons were a drug that really drove traffic. (laughs) And so, he's not actually that wrong about it being kind of some sort of chemical reaction in our head to coupons. Scientists believe that our frenzied reactions to sales is the result of our hunter-gatherer past and the need to hoard items while we can. So, if there's berries out on the bush, we are going to go get all the berries we can off the bush. If there are t-shirts on sale at JCPenney, well, we got to get some for us. Um, sales also play into the pleasure principle, which says that humans would rather seek pleasure and avoid pain, and getting a great deal is pleasure. Missing out is pain. But wait, there's more. Let's talk a bit more about pricing. And you guys, this is like something that everyone knows. The idea that you price something as dot nine nine, like ninety nine cents or ninety seven cents, rather than to bump it up to whatever the whole number would be. Um, so it's called charm pricing, and we might think we would never fall for a stupid, such obvious trick, but studies show that we absolutely fall for it all the time. Also, sometimes stores will leave the dollar sign off, so you won't think of this as money. This is something I see at really? restaurants. Yeah. So if you look on a menu and it'll say like the what the chicken is, and then you look over and it'll just say like twelve dollars. It won't have like a dollar sign. I don't know if that really works. Um, also, people are more likely to buy stuff if they can easily do the math on the discount. So, for example, if something was ten dollars marked down to eight, we're more likely to buy that than if it's ten dollars marked down to seven dollars and ninety-seven cents, huh. because our brain just doesn't want it; just stops wanting to do the math. Nah. Just be like, ugh, math. There is a caveat for charm pricing, and that is if you are selling really luxury items. So, if you're selling a luxury item and you're and you're pricing it at three hundred and ninety nine dollars, that's going to make people think like, oh, this has been discounted, and maybe it's a little cheaper than just pricing it at like four hundred dollars. Huh. Uh, there's other ways that math will trip us up when it comes to pricing. People prefer to get fifty percent more of the same product than to see a thirty three percent decrease in price, and even so, which is equal, right? Which right. is which is equal. Yeah. Also, people will like it better when you give them a twenty-five percent discount on top of a twenty percent discount instead of just a single forty percent discount. So you'll see that on. I noticed that on Amazon the other day. It said like original price, then it said discounted price, then it said sale price, and then below it, it even did the math for me to see to see like how much total I was I was losing. They were trying to get me on all points here <laughs> on how much I was saving, not losing. So, uh, those are the ways that price. Those are a few ways that marketers use pricing and uh, sales to get us. I notice restaurants don't even often put the decimal anymore. Mm. It's just like seven yes. or nine or well, yeah. actually no, it's more like seventeen or nineteen. Yeah, no, it's got to be nicer restaurants, right? Like you're not going to go to a potbelly and and see like a seven dollar sandwich. All right. The fourth way that marketers will try to get you at the holidays is through sounds and smells. This is the most Manchurian candidate of the of the ones that I've seen. Um, so it's also super fascinating. All right, your sense of smell is very closely tied to your memories and ultimately your emotions, perhaps more so than any of your of your other five senses. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Like sometimes I'll smell a cup of coffee and it'll make me think of my dad, or you'll yep. smell like laundry and it makes you think of home, fresh cut grass, things like that. 
And so it's largely a matter of location, because like literal like spatial location in your noggin, because incoming smells are first processed by the olfactory bulb, which starts inside the nose and runs along the bottom of the brain, and it has direct connections to the parts of the brain that strongly um, hit emotion and memory, the amygdala and the hippocampus. We all remember that from our anatomy classes, right? Sure. So smells evoke memories. And they hopefully are evoking good memories. Retailers try very hard to elicit these memories, and they use smells to do that, such as at the Westin, where we have our annual Fool Fest. Have you ever noticed how relaxing the Westin smells? (laughs) I have. (laughs) If Dayan is listening, she knows what I'm talking about. So, they actually, a lot of retailers and hotels, airlines have their own signature scent. At the Westin, it's called white tea. And any Westin that you go to is going to smell like this smell. And you can either, pro tip, by the way, uh, if you if you go to the bathrooms closest to the conference rooms, they'll have little sample bottles of their lotion, and you can just yoink those and put them in your purse. <laughs> Dayana, that's a Dayana and Allison pro tip that you can take to the Westin. I definitely noticed this when I went to Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah. And, and what's the other one? Bath Body Works or something like that. I never go into the holidays. They always smell the same to me. And so now I associate that smell with Christmas. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. So other stores like Bloomingdale's, Jimmy Choo, Samsung, they have signature smells. Hugo Boss, but this is so funny. They spent two months tweaking the formula of its signature scent to get it right. Um, the guy who helped design it described it this way. Light accents of fruit and citrus with a hint of cocoa filling the top note before a green floral heart of gardenia, jasmine, and some word I can't pr- mug, mug it over a foundation of vanilla, sandalwood, cedarwood, and amber. So you can see these retailers take Holy this cow. very seriously. I'll just take the mug it, please. Yeah, what is that? I don't, oh, gosh. All right, our listeners can nugget? I'll, I'll it was nugget. nugget. No, M U G U E T. I don't know. I'll Google it later. Mugget. Don't email me. I'll just Google it later. The logic here is store smell good, good smell make you happy, happy makes you stick around, sticking around makes you buy more, and there are numerous studies to back this up. You're just going to have to take my word for it, because I, um, I'm i not going to bother telling you about it. That's why you can smell the McDonald's like all the way down the street. Or like a bakery. Oh, dude, Every yes. time we walk past the Panera, it smells like toast, and my husband just loses his mind. <laughs> He's just like, oh, it smells so good. Toast. Toast. It's true. <laughs> All right, smells can backfire on you, though, of course, because we all have our own emotions attached to different smells, right? So, tea rose to you might smell like your dear Aunt Ruth, bro, but to me, it smells like this girl I went to high school with, and it was so overpowering in science class, it was the worst. So, you have to be careful. So, around the holidays, of course, uh, they want to make their places smell festive. Although some expert that I read said that uh, around the holidays you want your store to smell familial instead of like Christmas. I don't What's know what that, that means. means. Smells like grandma. I don't know what it means. <laughs> grandma smells like tobacco. Or, um, anyway, I butchered that quote. What? Tobacco, tobacco smells like grandma, right? He says, smells like grandma. Tobacco. That's a Simpsons quote, folks. Yes, thank you. Uh, um, so, the next time you're in a store, give it a good sniff and see how it makes you feel. Do you feel familial? Do you feel, I don't know. Anyway, that's something to look out well, for. But be conscious makes, of it. Yeah. If it makes you feel good and if it makes you spend money. That's a really interesting question. As opposed to other stores, I won't name any, but there are stores that do not smell all that good or at least don't have a pleasant smell. Like, I, I want think, you to, you're like, I'm like, not going to name any. Well, Go Walmart. Ahead, name like, it. I don't, like, oh, Walmart. Really? Oh, Walmart don't you, doesn't uh, smell good. 
I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, I have a very thoughts about that. You know, yeah. I have a very definite. I mean, maybe just a Walmart by my house, but it does not smell good. Yeah. Yeah, so you probably don't want to stick around. I mean, eventually you get used to it, but you probably it doesn't make you want to stick around, or it doesn't make you think. A lot of these stores are going to be high-end luxury stores that want you to then associate these smells with high-end luxury things. Whereas maybe Walmart's just like, yeah, we sell stuff. Yeah, come get it. As opposed to the Target, when you, at least the Target by me, you go in and there's their little cafeteria mm-hmm. where they're making popcorn. That's the smell I notice when I go in there. Oh, yeah. And they want you to have some popcorn and stick right. around. A lot of these tactics, at least when it comes to store design and actually going to physical stores, it's to try to get you to stay in the store as long as possible. We'll talk about that more later. I, I wonder if that's why, I was, increasingly to me, it seems like more grocery stores are offering, like, there's the little Starbucks there mm-hmm. on the side. Yeah. First of all, that smells good, but also that's a reason to stay in the store. Yeah. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm so tired, well, let's just go to the Starbucks right there and get a cup of coffee. We'll recharge. We'll go back out there. Yeah. yeah, There's a cup holder in your shopping cart. That's true. There is a cup holder in your shopping cart. Uh, all right, so smells. Also, music. Music, uh, of course, when you go to the stores around the holidays, what, they're all playing Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas oh is gosh. You. Right? You don't like that song? No, I do like it, but it, but they are all playing it. Yeah. Love it's, it. And I particularly love it when she did it with The Roots and Jimmy Fallon. But... They all play that song. That was really good. So, according to a study, the majority of U.S. consumers think music makes the shopping experience more enjoyable, and it improves their mood, and it makes them feel like it's a brand that they can relate or connect to. So, matching music. Here's some fun ways that that music has influenced people. A 1993 study found that classical music induced wine buyers to spend more money. It's not that the shoppers bought more wine. It's not they were like, more. let's buy all the wine. I'm... You know, drunk. It Bach, was Beethoven, wine. Wine. It was the idea that, oh, here's this classical music floating through the room. I am a refined individual yes. who deserves a $40 bottle of wine. <laughs> or more. Now you know ex- what an expensive bottle of wine means to me. <laughs> and it's not in a box. <laughs> it's not in a box. Uh, fancy, fancy music makes you feel fancy. Slow music supposedly makes you move slower through a store and oh. buy more. Um, so the bottom line is, these are the sneaky. These I feel like these are the sneakiest, creepy ways that stores try to manipulate us through sounds and smells. But yeah, take notice next time you're at a store. What are they trying to tell you by how they smell? What are they trying to tell tell you by the music they're playing? Because also with the Christmas music, they want you to get nostalgic. They want you to just get in the giving mood and just go crazy. Yeah. All right, and the fifth and final one that we're going to tackle today is treat yourself. <laughs> Uh, retailers know that while you're out there and have your wallet open anyway, you're also more inclined to buy something for yourself. About 64% of people, which I think is low, but 64% of people are expected to buy a little something for themselves when they're supposed to be out there shopping for their loved ones. It's gotten to be so much of a moneymaker that Digiday predicted Amazon and self-gifting would lead Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. That was really? the headline. Wow. Amazon and self-gifting. Knowing this, advertisers will flat out tell you to treat yourself with a little bit of a wink. Uh, J. Crew ads have included messages like "to you, from you, <laughs> buy one get one free" offers are also an example of retailers trying to get you to self gift. Sure. Uh, and it's not only just about treating ourselves to like a little something special. Uh, Best Buy and other retailers will also advertise like Black Friday prices now on major appliances, as if that's something you're going to exactly. buy someone like. Here, <laughs> mom, have a fridge. Vacuum. Yeah. So this is um, this is an actual email that I got on Cyber Monday. Save up to eighty eight percent. Cyber Monday Cyber Monday sale going on now. 
from everyone's favorite retailer, Harbor Freight Tools. What? It's this whole ad <laughs> about quantities limited, shop early. So some of the deals include uh, a nine-piece wobble socket extension set. I got one of those last year. Uh, a 1,000-pound capacity swing-back trailer jack. <laughs> was 19.99. Now 25. Oh, it was 25.98. I mean, they did. They they actually have really done their research on this. <laughs> like they have actually been reading some marketing handbooks because the pricing is done quite clearly. They're trying to make it seem scarce and urgent. And oh, way to go, Harbor Freight Tools! You almost got me. You almost got me. But I was able to resist treating myself to one of your 1,000-pound capacity nine-inch steel loading ramps. Set of two. <laughs> Set of two. Set of two. Uh, well, you're gonna need two because uh, you're trying to load like a. It's for like loading a like a four-wheeler up into the back of your truck. I don't know. (laughs) So, the Washington Post says that some retail experts call this gift conversion. It's this little dance that you do in your head when you wind up buying for yourself after you're supposed to be out for someone else. Uh, Economic, this is also from the Washington Post article, economic, demographic, and general changes have had a Pavlovian effect. Americans hear Christmas and they think massive bargain shopping for all the stuff I didn't get during the year. So the next time you're in TJ Maxx, as a shareholder myself, I encourage you to check out the uh, checkout experience. It's a long line. It's yes, this I know. Gauntlet of impulse shopping nirvana, where all you, like all you're doing is just looking at a number of different things you didn't know you needed, all priced under ten dollars. You're like, yes, I need new headphones. Yes, I need a travel mug. It, it's like exiting through the gift store. Like it you is, have it is, to do that. It is, and it's all one line, so everyone yeah. is just funneled through here. It's genius. So, like I said, I'm a shareholder. So please go. <laughs> please give in to those impulses. Please go for it. I'm I'm totally down with that. Oh my goodness. Okay, so that was five ways that marketers will try to get you this holiday season. I actually have five more ways if you want to hear about more of them next week. Oh, and I do. Is this boring you? No, not at all. Is this ridiculously fascinating, Rick? And you want to make it a two-parter? You know, Amazon always tells me. How about something from your wish list? Now I know why. Oh, yeah, that's another great example of self-gifting. Oh, Amazon, I mean, they they practically write the textbook about how to get you to buy stuff. They take advantage of everything. Um, all right, well then, that's the show for now. But we'll come back and we'll cover five more next week? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, I want to thank DJ and Kathy for sending us a, card, a postcard from their amazing vacation in France and Italy. Uh, the Wild Thing sent a card from California. Steve is eating tapas in Spain, and Scott sent us our first card from Nepal. Ooh, nice. It was very cool. Uh, Froop Fool sent a card from Switzerland, and Allison sent a card from Malta. She's one of my favorite listeners. That's me. <laughs> and what did you point out on the back of that card? What did I write? Let's see what I wrote. Uh, huge fan of the podcast, and you two are the best part. Allison is so, so. <laughs> and someone... Made it into the Motley Fool Hall of Fame. It was me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're very proud to announce that Allison has been inducted into the Motley Fool Hall of Fame. Yeah, we had Foolapalooza a couple weeks ago. Very well deserved. It's about time she joined us, bro. That's true. I know. And bro, they did a video, and bro said some really nice things about me in the video. It was very sweet. It was very sweet. So I'm lucky to be a part of this foolish foolish family. 
Also regarding me going to Malta, I want to thank Ralph, who sent an amazing amount of advice for what to do in Malta. He even offered a friend's phone number for me to reach out to if I needed any help. Like, how is it? Our listeners are the best. They are the best. They are the best. All right. That's the show. It's been edited manipulatively (laughs) by Rick Engdahl. That's exactly what I was thinking. Was that really? It was, yeah. Uh, I made you think that. That's just- <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. Uh, our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. I love you. I, just, I love you. <laughs>